the reading we had from Matthew is repeated in Mark and in Luke. One of them, I forget which one, tells us that it was not just Peter and Andrew, but it was James and John as well. Not bad, eh? Walking along. Come follow me. And they do. We're looking at actually John 21, but you know, we'll, we'll get there. Question. Like me, have you ever been tempted to look around on a Sunday morning and attempt to work out the role of each person here? Now, you probably know what Nick does. Sort of got that on, on par. You look at these people gathered here in a building which we sanctify by our presence and by the presence of our God as part of the body of Christ. Have you ever wondered, though, who does what? Not just this bit here on Sunday, but who does what? And have you ever wondered how he or she was commissioned or selected or volunteered or went to Theo College or, or whatever to get to do it? And have you ever wondered what, if anything, this role has to do with the following two passages? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Or perhaps this passage. They asked him, what must we do to do the works of God, the works that God requires, John 6. Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, fairly definitive, to believe in the one he has sent. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, guide all of our thoughts, mine included, as we consider what you call us to do. Amen. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And in Jesus' words, go into all the world. I propose there are actually two works involved. One, the one from our initial reading, follow me. Two, the one from our second reading, from the end of John, which are consequential on the first. Because quite frankly, you can't do the first and not do the second. And you can't do the second unless you've done the first. Professional Christians are an enigma to me. I belong to a church or an organisation. Yeah, but do you belong to Christ? So, and the interesting thing is that the first commission, come follow me, become a disciple, was initially done by Jesus. He was good at it but it's now done by us. It is 
our role as the faithful of God to tell people about him. Fortunately, it's not our role to convert them. I think I'm loud. The first part arises from faithfulness of God's people in accepting his commission and using obediently the gifts, talents, attributes and faith he has given each of us. In the Synoptic Gospels, we see the first commissioning of Andrew and Peter, James and John. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they left their nets, their boats, their relatives, their livelihood and followed him. Quite incredible really. These are subsistence fishermen. Hebrew education, not limited. But they just dropped it all. Fishermen brought up in the family tradition. You looked after your parents. You looked after your relatives. They dump it all and walk off. Jesus, of course, being the person he was, doesn't leave it there. He teaches them. We hear a lot about the teaching of the crowds, but the ongoing classroom, which was Jesus Christ and his little group, happened all the time. And then we get to the next bit. John 6, 65. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave me too? He asked his disciples. Or actually, it says he asked the twelve. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, he challenged them. It wasn't just follow me, this is going to be good, bit of theol, bit of practical missions training, bit of this. Will you hold fast? Will you hang on to me? as I promise to hang on to you. This, then, is the first commissioning of the disciples of Jesus, each of us. The commissioning that is, I accept you are Jesus Christ, I accept you are the Son of the living God, I accept you are my Lord and Saviour. And if the twelve were going to be challenged... Guess what? So are we. So my first question is, have you been commissioned to follow Jesus Christ? Not to do a particular job. Have you been commissioned? Have you been called? And have you responded by following? And Jesus, always practical, didn't leave them with just that. He gave them a little bit more. A little bit more to think about. Luke 
chapter 9, verse 23. I'll read it. He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And just in case you think it's an isolated reading, five chapters later, a couple of months, in 1427, he says, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, he called them, he challenged them, and then he put them on the spot. Following me comes at a massive cost. And these four Galilean fishermen, among the twelve, they were no strangers to people picking up crosses. Galilee, in around AD 12 to 15, somewhere around that time, had a revolt against the Romans. Not clever. 3,000 were crucified around the district. These disciples would have been there would have seen their fellow Jews crucified, taking between three and five days to die. So when Jesus challenged them and said, you've got to take up your cross, it wasn't the nagging mother-in-law, the brat of a kid. It was, you're walking to your death. He made sure that when he commissioned his disciples, they knew what they were signing up for. It wasn't one of these shonky TV deals, sign here, pay your money now, you never know your luck. It was, this is going to be expensive. They heard all this, they accepted their commission, they followed him all the way to the Last Supper, the Garden Gethsemane. Then they ran away. When he indeed, when he indeed did take up his cross, last place they wanted to be. Among the most vociferous protesters of his loyalty is Peter. All the way through even to being rebuked by Jesus for his dedication when he said, don't go to Jerusalem. The one who said, where else would we go? That Peter. This Peter calls down curses upon himself when asked to identify with Jesus. This Peter fled as did all the disciples after the garden confrontation. This Peter. This Peter who couldn't do too much for Jesus. And yet there is hope, even for that depth of betrayal. So we now come to the end of Gospel of John. And hope rises along with Jesus. Because let's face it, if Jesus didn't arise, where's the hope? 
as Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise, then we are of all men the most to be pitied. Incredible, isn't it? Wonderful disciples. Well, we're cowards, chickens, betrayers. So something changed. And we'll come to that in a minute. Because Peter is about to be recommissioned. But in fact, John, who describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved, John too is given a new commission. He too has run away. We only get told about Peter because Peter at least got into the, the courtyard. <laughs> the rest didn't get that far, as far as we know. John too is given a new commission. On the cross, Jesus, probably naked, disowned, deserted, denied, actually looks down at this small group who have dared to turn up. In chapter 19 of John, we get this exchange. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that day on, this disciple took her into his home. Not quite as dramatic as what was going to happen to Peter, but nonetheless, a recommissioning. You deserted me, and now I am giving you a task which is precious to me. You're adopting my mother. You are to look after her. It's just as moving and telling as what Peter's about to undergo. Because it shows where Jesus ex expects his disciples' priorities to be. It's Mother's Day. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. But I can't think of a more pointed explanation of a relationship. I'm dying. I'm dying with the sin of the world upon me. This is your mother. Moving on. We are called to be fishers of men. And having caught them, because that's what fishermen do, we don't kiss them and throw them back. We are called to individually care for them. And here's John being given his first individual responsibility, Mary. As far as we know, he discharged it fully. It's interesting that John's letters, which we have, dwell so much on love because he'd just seen a demonstration of it and got to live it. Peter. Only denied Christ three times. Only in a space of three hours. 
Now he's given the opportunity to review this. Jesus attends his disciples in Galilee where he's told them to go. And like blokes who've got nothing else to do, they go fishing. It's interesting that when Jesus turns up, he doesn't call on them to follow me anymore. Instead, he teaches them how to fish properly and then treats them to a fish barbecue. I reckon Peter's in trouble. I reckon he's dreading this encounter. Somehow, he's got through two visits to the upper room and Jesus hasn't said anything. It's really great. He hasn't picked on me. Hey, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's forgotten. Who knows? He may have forgiven me and he hasn't let me know that. But somehow, despite Thomas being put on the spot, Peter is not. Somehow, he's managed not to have his cowardice exposed to the others. So Jesus turns to him and asks, not, why did you betray me? Why did you not believe what I warned you about? But instead, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now that could be a nice question, actually. Do you truly love me more than these? Possibilities. Do you love me more than your companions? We don't know what the these are, you see. There's no subject. Or, do you love me more than you love your companions? One's a comparator, the other one's... No. Or, do you love me more than you love fishing, your occupation? All three are possible. We're not told. All three would resonate with Peter. All three would have him questioning... Am I the one that loves you the most? Do I love you more than I love John? Do I prefer fishing? Is my job more important? And with the resonation comes I'm the guy at the front of the I'm the guy that always says I love you. I'm the guy that What's Peter going to do? You know I love you. Almost a fob off. Do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I love you. It's self-evident, Lord. Haven't I always said so? Perhaps that's what Jesus is trying to get him to understand. Said so doesn't count. But also some relief. Oh, he hasn't asked me about the cock crowing. He hasn't asked me about the cursing. The others won't know. And so Jesus follows up with Feed my lambs. What? 
a relief. But not quite so much relief the second time he's asked. And the hurt hits home the third time. We're told, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. See, uh, reject, reject, reject. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? Oh, there might be a match up here. Jesus knows and he lets Peter know that he knows. And he does it in a way which does not destroy him in front of his fellow disciples. And so he recommissions Peter. This loudmouth, this overconfident, bombastic fisherman. And he changes him to a shepherd. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. A friend of ours, Jim Marsh, a Wycliffe missionary who died five years ago. We can't remember, but he died some years ago after years as a missionary, described this passage as follows. And I actually wrote it down in my Bible. To be a disciple is not just following Jesus. It is to be a fisherman, to share in the gathering of the Messianic community. It is to suffer with the Messiah in the all-decisive Messianic woes. It is to witness by life and by death the victory of the crucified to join the suffering servant we are given two tasks we are called to be fishers of men which is evangelism and feeders of sheep and lambs which is pastoral care and I'd like to end with this as my focus in this our part of Christ's church we can look around, as I suggested you might, I certainly do, to figure out who does what on Sunday, in small groups on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and ask, what is he or she here for? There are a number of answers which are possible. You might be a fish waiting to be caught. waiting for a fisher of men, a disciple, to catch you for Jesus. Yeah, still happens. Of course, you might be the fisher of men, whose job it is, whose vocation it is, whose gift it is, whatever you want to call it, is to sit alongside somebody and say, Jesus loves you, in a way which is relevant and pertinent to that person. Or you might be a shepherd, who feeds sheep and lambs, who provides for their care. And this grouping, not the fish but the rest, 
is commissioned by ways of talents, gifts, and the fruit of the Spirit to do the task you are called to do. Some seem to be natural evangelists. There are, well, they're not natural, but that's what it looks like when you're looking from the outside. A friend of ours, Tony, was a member of Open Air Campaigners. If Tony had to catch a bus in New Zealand, the chances are his next seat neighbour would be asking which church he should be attending by the end of the trip. Or if he caught a plane, it was even worse because you couldn't get out. But that's what Tony did. I've never seen a bloke do it so well. We'd given lists of gifts. His was evangelist. Others chat and open the scriptures to them in such a way that the scriptures become crystal clear for that person where they are. It speaks directly to our hearts. Quite frankly, I think Nick's one of those. But we who name Jesus as Lord and Saviour are all called to participate in the fishing and the shepherding. If somebody asks us, why are you a Christian? We're meant to be able to tell them. If somebody asks us, what should I do as a Christian? We're meant to be able to sit down with them and work through it. So my challenge at the end is this. Have you been commissioned? Are you, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ? And have you been recommissioned? Given a task? And are you actually fulfilling that task? Or do you need a re-recommissioning? Do you need to actually stand up and say, yes, I was asked to do this by my Lord. I've forgotten how to do it. I've neglected the gift that was given me. If that's the case, you're not on your own because Timothy was told to do the same thing by Paul. Do not neglect the gift you have been given. So if you've got one and you ain't using it, ask again. We are a fairly undemonstrative church, but in fact, I'd like you to do something this morning if you are willing. If you're not a Christian and you want to become one, Nick, me, various others would love to pray with you. But if you are, and like Peter, your commissioning seems to have got a little cold, a little neglected, and you want recommissioning, then as we bow our heads, I want you to stand up. Scary stuff. And I'll pray for you. And if you're really, really brave, you can come out the front, we'll all pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we wait before you, as we rethink who we are before you, as we think again about what you have requested of us, your people, by your spirit, help us to respond. By your spirit, help us to return to the first love that you gave us, the first commission that we be your disciples.
come at bay, do you truly love me more than these? Come at bay, do you truly love me? Come at bay, do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. Amen. We have a song. And this is a scary bit. I get to lead it. Jono, get out of here. It's only semi-scary. Close in our final song. Lord, I lift your name on high. I'll switch that off. There we go. So please stand as we sing our final song. to live the lives that you want us to live, Lord, in light of what you have done for us. And we pray that we will do this in your name. Amen.